Wow. Well, it is, uh, it's really good to, to be here with you this morning. We're going to have some fun. And, and uh, my goal this morning is to uh, be very encouraging about marriage. And I, I know maybe there's some people in this room who are raising kids who are not married. That's great. What we're going to talk about today has a lot to do with relationships uh, of all sorts. The, the stuff we're going to be talking about today will even be good with your kids, okay? And I really believe that God has a message for each of us today. I, I believe that you're here for a purpose. I look out at, at young moms, and, you know, most of you have done more today than I will do all day already. You, I mean, you've been going since early this morning. You somehow got the kids up, and, and some of you have to get them off to school, too, and, and you're doing all this stuff. You sometimes remind me of a quote by Vince Lombardi, who's the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, I heard a woo. Um, <laughs> he once said, football's played by 22 men who desperately need, need a rest, watched by 60,000 people who desperately need some exercise. <laughs> and I, I can see some of you probably could use a little rest. Well, we're not going to be able to give you a, quite a rest today, but we will give you some uh, encouragement, I hope, hopefully, today. Uh, let, me, let me just open another word of prayer. I just want to pray for what we're going to be talking about today and just ask that God would lift that up. Father, we thank you for this time to, to pause in our busy days, to spend some time looking at our relationships. And as we begin this day and this time together, we ask for the grace to be able to slow down and put ourselves before you. We ask that we can put aside all of our tasks, our concerns, our fears, and simply be here. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each of us today and to have the grace to dip, deeply listen to what you are saying to us, that we can know and follow you more in each, each day. And we lift up the marriages in this room. We pray that through your love and your strength that we can have marriages that you desire and the marriage you de desire for us. Amen. Well, you know, I go to a lot of different um, conferences and, and different talks, and even Sunday sermons, you, you hear these things, and, and sometimes it's hard to, to remember all the things that you get in, in different sermons, and uh, what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to be doing a snippet of our Marriage Booster Retreat, which is a seven-hour retreat for couples, uh, so buckle up, I'm giving it to you all in about 45 minutes, okay? Uh, no. What, what I want to encourage you to do is try not to remember everything. If you jot a note, great. But try to go away today with one sentence. One thing that, that maybe I said, maybe something somebody said at your tables when you're talking, or maybe that's something that God just spoke to you today as you're sitting listening. Uh, and, and try to walk away with that. See if you remember that. I think that that's an important uh, thing. Um, about, I'm trying to think about three, four months ago, I was with a group of friends, and, and we were hanging out. We were playing cards. We played wizard players here. We were playing wizard one night and sitting around and just having a fun time. And I don't know, somehow the conversation got started. We started talking about first dates. Say, and you know those kind of first dates in junior high? Do you remember those when you're not sure if you're going with them or not? You sort of your friends said you were, but then you didn't know. <laughs> and so we were talking about some of those, and... and I don't know, it just everybody was sharing these different stories. And one of my friends started sharing this story about this first date. It was actually a blind date that she had. Her friends had set, him up, set her up, and uh, she was going to go meet this guy for, for coffee. So she shows up at this coffee shop, and she's waiting. She kind of knows what the guy's supposed to look like. She's never met him before. Um, and she's looking around the coffee shop, and there's no one that matches his description. And so she's waiting 10 minutes, 
15, 20, 30. And after about 35 minutes, she's like, the guy is a no-show. And she was kind of mad. She's like, look, if you don't want to go on the blind date, just say you don't want to go. And, and so she gets up, and she's driving home. And she said she got home, and she decided she was going to you know, send him an email and just kind of like let him have it. And so she pulls up the emails, and she's kind of, and all of a sudden, as she's looking at the thread of emails, she realized she had gone to the wrong coffee shop. <laughs> And so she quickly got in her car and she drove to the other coffee shop and he was still there. So it was kind of a good story. Well, then I had to share one of my uh, first date stories. I was in college and I kept seeing this girl who I thought, she was kind of cute. And, and a couple of times I you know, was trying to get up the, the courage to ask her out. And I, I just, I didn't have it. So one day um, I see her at this bus stop and I walk up and I'm talking to her and I said, hey, um, would you ever want to go out? And she's like, with you? Like, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and she's like, um, sure. I went, okay. And so then we started talking about what we were going to do. And, uh, and she said, well, let's think about it. And so I, I thought about it. And I knew that there was a, a, um, a concert coming up that she would really like because we had talked about this musical artist. And I said, hey, what if I try to get tickets for that concert? She said, oh, that'd be good. And so I, you know, take my college savings. I didn't have much. And I went and got these, these tickets. And the night of the concert, I pick her up, and she gets in the car, and we're driving to downtown Minneapolis. And I said, hey, how's your weekend? She said, fine. I said, did you do anything fun? Anything special? Nope. Um, so, uh, you excited for the concert? Yep. And everything I asked her was this one word, like, short, terse answer. I was thinking, she does not want to be on this date. And so I'm, like, driving, going, how am I going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we get downtown, and I'm too cheap to park in a ramp. So I'm looking around for a free place on the street. I said, keep your eye open if you see a spot. And we're driving around, driving around. I'm thinking, I better do it quick. And then I heard her say something, and I thought, oh, maybe she found the spot. And, I, and just as I turned to look at her to ask if she saw a spot, she began to projectile vomit all over the car. I mean, it was on the windshield, it was on the dashboard, it was on her, it was on me, it was like everywhere. This is one of the coldest days in the winter. So now I'm like, Oh, I rolled on the windows. Oh, I had an old car. <laughs> and now I'm freezing, and I'm thinking, what, what am I going to do? So I thought, i got to go to a gas station where we can get kind of cleaned up, because we can't be in this car this whole way. And so I'm driving around. There are no gas stations in downtown Minneapolis. So now I, I start going to the outside neighborhoods around downtown, downtown Minneapolis, and these are not the nicest neighborhoods to drive into. And so I see a Clark gas station, and I think, okay, this is it. We pull in the Clark gas station, and as we, we pull in there, uh, she looks around, she goes, is this safe? And I, I just looked down at us, it was all over us, I said, I, I don't think anybody's gonna mess with us. <laughs> so she goes into the bathroom, and she's, she's getting cleaned up, and she's in there for a while, and thinking, okay, now I gotta clean up the car. And so I start taking the paper towels, and I'm you know, trying to clean up as what I can, and, and then I'm thinking, this is not working, so then I'm, I'm like trying to dilute it with my, my windshield washer, <laughs> so that's a little bit. And then I finally see the vacuum. You know, like you put the quarters in, like, I just have to. So I said, and I get it. I actually did a really good job. You would have been proud. And so uh, about 20 minutes later, she comes out. I drive her home, and I'm thinking, you know, as I'm going home, I go, this is the biggest disaster I have ever could imagine on a first date. I mean, she's not going to ever talk to me again. So 
I dropped her off. What I didn't realize is that we went, uh, after I dropped her off, we went back to school. Uh, I didn't see her until uh, later that week. Uh, her roommates asked her, they said, hey, how was that, that date? How was the concert? And she said, you know what? I think I might marry that guy. <laughs> she thought any guy that would clean up her puke on the very first night might be worth holding on to. <laughs> and we've been married now for 31 years, so. <laughs> Uh, saving a fine. There, there, there we are. It's a little red there, but um, one of my friends looks at this picture and goes, Hey, did you guys go to the same barber? Or what? <laughs> 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 kind, kind of did. This is us last year celebrating our 30th up in Vermont, and or not for uh, Vancouver, I don't see Vermont. Anyway, so that's uh, Lynn, and, and I can say, you know, after 31 years of marriage, we are more in love now than we ever have been. And I know that sounds really cute if you know, you know? Uh, but trust me, we are not, we do not have the perfect marriage. We, we go through stuff just like everybody else. Uh, but we've worked at it. We've been really intentional about our marriage over the years. And I think that makes uh, all the difference. Um, in fact, usually it's after one of our little spats that I'm having to do on these talks. And she's like, if they could only hear you now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but. I just want to say we are real, and I want to be real with you today and, and just share with you what I think uh, can be really helpful. And I want to share a lot of stuff today that's really hopeful and encouraging, but I, but I also have to share a little bit at the beginning that, that shows where marriages get in trouble. And I think these things, the reason I tell you these things is because I think it can be really helpful to see those things so you can try to prevent those as you go. Um, there was actually a... a friend of mine who was a pastor at a church and he had a couple come in and they were getting ready for a, their wedding. Um, and I, I thought about this not recently because just recently because my son is uh, getting married in December. It's kind of fun. But they, the couple that my friend was marrying, they, they asked him, so when are we when are we married? I mean like when in the service? You know, we're gonna have the readings and you know we got these different things in the music. At what point in the marriage in the wedding ceremony are we actually married? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, it'll be about 20 years. <laughs> and what he was trying to get to them is that marriage is a process. It, to, to, to really understand and get what marriage is, it takes years of practice. It's not just you show up on your wedding day, and there it is, and all's, all's good from there. You learn, and that's why I say I can say we're, we're more in love today than we ever have been, because we have loved more than we ever have been. We've loved for 31 years. Um, well, there's a, there's a researcher who has done a lot of work on marriages and studying relationships named John Gottman. Some of you may have read it, some of his books. He's got some good books. Um, and they're actually readable. He's, a, he's a, you know, like a researcher, but he writes stuff that you can understand. Uh, and he started doing work on, on um, facial expressions. He was trying to figure out how different people's facial expressions look. Uh, like he, he found that there are 160 universal facial expressions. Wherever you go in the world, facial expressions are the same. You can see happiness, you can see disgust, you can see anger. So right now I'm seeing some boredom. No, um, <laughs> but, but all these different features on faces are universal. And so they, they were studying those and then they started thinking, what if we could put those to marriages? If we can understand what people are feel, feeling by their, their, their facial expressions. And so he started this little project where they, they bought this place and they had a kind of a bed and breakfast that they would observe a couple for a weekend and watch them and how they interacted 
during the weekend. And what he said is after watching a couple for one hour, they could determine within 95% accuracy whether that couple's marriage would last in the next five years. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and he said sometimes we knew in the first three minutes that the couple's marriage was going to last. Now, what they did is they identified some, some behaviors, some, some uh, communication techniques that couples would use, and some of them were negative. And he, he calls them the four horses, horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, I like to call them the four poisons to a marriage. And I want, I want to share the four poisons with you because I think it's really important for us to understand that these poisons can creep into any relationship. If we let the poison continue, it can destroy the relationship. So John Gott and his team recognized when he saw these poisons coming out that the, the marriage could be in trouble. Okay, so are you ready to hear the bad news? Okay, here's the bad news. Get this thing working. Okay, the four poisons to marriage. The first one is criticism. I know it's a little small up there. Um, criticism. But we're talking about chronic criticism. And that's different from a complaint. We all can have complaints in our, in our marriages. A complaint is more focused on a specific event, a specific behavior, uh, but it's not focused on the person, all right? A, a, a criticism is an attack on that person. A, a complaint is much different. Let me give you a, the, the example of a complaint because this just happened a few weeks ago. So my, my wife makes this turkey in the oven. She's, you know, it's really good turkey. And, and afterwards she said, hey, I gotta, she's a teacher, I gotta go grade some tests, can you uh, clean up? I said, happy to. And so she, uh, as I'm cleaning up, she said, oh, I wanna make a, another thing with the leftover turkey. We just put that in the blue Tupperware bin. I said, sure, absolutely. And so I clean up the kitchen, I get it all done. Three days later, I get a call from my wife. She says, where's that turkey? I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, remember a Monday night we had turkey and I, Told you I was going to make something with the leftovers. I'm like, yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that. <laughs> and then I, it kind of hit me. I said, well, look in the fridge. She said, well, I've looked in the fridge. I don't, I don't see it. I'm like, well, look harder. I mean, you know. And she's like, honey, it's not in the fridge. I said, did you check the freezer? Yes, I checked the freezer. I'm like, I, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't need it. I don't know. And so she's still looking around. I can hear, you know. The fridge shutting, and, and then all of a sudden she goes, oh, I found it. And I went, yeah, see, indication. She said, it's still in the oven. Okay, so I have left the turkey in the oven for the you know, three days since, uh, since she made it. All right, now, here's, here's the complaint. She said, hey, I asked you to do something. You didn't do it. I need you to take care of this. I said, no problem. I'll stop at Cub on the way. We'll get a couple of roasted chickens. You'll be able to make whatever you want. She said, great, awesome. Okay, that's a complaint. I can deal with that, right? I, I can say, you know what, I blew it, that, that's easy to deal with. Here's what would have happened if it was a criticism. If she called me and said, what's the matter with you? Can't you do anything right? I asked you for one simple thing, to put the turkey in the Tupperware and put it in the fridge. I can't even believe it. You probably left it there on purpose so I would get sick. Okay, that's, that's the difference. Now, she wouldn't do that, but, but we do that sometimes. We, we take it to that, that criticism level, all right? So that's the first one. So we want to watch criticism. And I, and I can tell you this working with families as well. Be really careful. And sometimes the words just slip out. Be really careful when you're talking to your kids, especially your boys. By saying, don't say things like, what's the matter with you? That goes deep, right to their core, all right? So, um, and that's the same with, with husbands as well. Okay, the next one is contempt. 
contempt. And this is the, this is the disrespect, the, the negative thoughts, the sarcasm, the cynicism can come out in these different ways, uh, rolling in the eyes, mockery uh, of people. Uh, sometimes it comes out in misguided humor. The husband says, hey, I think I might paint the house this summer. Oh, right, you can't fix anything. You know, call Channel 5 News, this is huge. Okay, that contempt can, can creep into a marriage so easily. But mostly it comes in this way of disrespect, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. The next one is defensiveness. Well, I went too, too quickly on this. I'm going way too fast. There we go, defensiveness. Um, this is when, when stuff happens, and we put up this wall, we say, hey, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. I, I, I didn't do it. Why are you always picking on me? Uh, when we become defensive, we, we're not about solving the problem. It's about winning. We're just trying to win the argument. Okay? And this can happen so easily. Uh, we start making excuses for everything that happens. One of my friends confessed to me, he said one time, he had backed out his car out of the driveway and he ran over his daughter's bike. And he actually he goes, I actually said, it's not my fault, somebody moved the mirrors. He's <laughs> like, I don't know what I was thinking, but it's like, it was my fault. But we do that sometimes, you know, we always think, okay, this is somebody else's fault. Don't, don't blame me for that. And then what we find is once criticism, contempt, and defensiveness start getting so bad, uh, we begin to withdraw. Okay, we, we had this, this period of withdrawal, uh, and we, we, we sometimes don't even see it. Maybe, maybe she stays later at work at night. He's out in the garage. Uh, maybe he's coaching both kids' teams now, uh, and so he's gone every single night. We just kind of withdraw from each other uh, and not connected at all. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells us something so powerful, so amazing, that sometimes we read it and we just go flying right past it. And he says this, a new command I give to you. A new command. And, and that word new can also translate into uh, a remarkable command I give to you. Something brand new. He says this, are you ready? Love one another. That's it. Love one another. Love one another unconditionally as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't want our relationships to live in these poisons. These poisons are, are, are going to kill a relationship. So Jesus has come up with an antidote to each of the poisons. And now the good news. Are you ready for the good news? All right. But remember these things because <laughs> these will creep into our relationships. And if we let them persist, that's when it gets bad. When they become chronic, that's when we, we really struggle. All right. What we need to do is, is look at the antidotes and put those into our relationship. Okay, the antidote to criticism is encouragement. There it is. The good news, encouragement. We all have tough, tough days sometimes. We need to be encouraged. We need encouragement from one another. Some of you have played on sports teams. Maybe some of your older kids are on sports teams. Have you ever had a, a, a criticizer coach? Those are awful. They're terrible. I remember my son was playing hockey. He was like a squirt. He comes off the rink and the coach is like, what's the matter with you? How many times do we have to work on this? He's like, I don't know, I'm eight. There's <laughs> no idea. But most of our coaches have been these great people that have been encouragers. They come off the corner, off the field. Coach is like, great job out there. Way to hustle, way to work. And the kids are going, yeah, I'm a superstar. <laughs> they feel so encouraged by that. Encouragement is a powerful, powerful thing. We don't realize it. I remember uh, years ago, my son Dan, um, 
he was about eight years old, and he came up to me. It was, it was about this time of year, a little later, and he said, hey, Dad, are you going to run that race again? And, and for the last couple of years, we had run the race for the cure. Actually, I had to run it, and my wife and her sister and mom would walk, do the walk. Anybody ever done the race for the cure? And so I said, well, yeah, we're planning on doing it again. He said, Dad, could I do the race with you? I was like, um, are you talking about the one around the cones in the parking lot at Southdale? He said, no, no, I want to run the big race with you. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure it was a really good idea, so why don't you ask your mom? You know, and she, she's thinking, this is not good. But he kept persisting. He's like, I really want to do it. So I said, okay, let's, let's give it a try. And so um, we, we get down there, and, and the, the race uh, starts at like 8, and then there's the walk afterwards. And there was about, at the time, probably about 2,500 runners and about 10,000 walkers. And as we, we got down to the starting line, I looked around. There were no other kids down there. It was it was just him and a few teenagers, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this wasn't a great idea. So I said, Dan, look, this is a you know it's a 5K race. It's longer than you've ever run, which is great. But um, if you get tired and you can't do it, that's not a big deal. We'll just we'll stop. We can walk. We can turn around. Whatever we need to do. He said, okay, you know, and we're standing at the start line. We're kind of getting ready. You can hear the announcer up in front. He's kind of making the announcements, but you know when we're to start, and, and Dan looks up and he, he looks at the announcer, he said, Dad, that guy's on TV. I said, well, yeah, he's the anchor for Channel 11. He's the, the starter for the race. He's like, cool. And so the gun goes off, and we all take off. Right away, we're at the back of the pack. Everybody kind of runs ahead, and we're gonna keep our slower pace. The only guy that was running the same speed as us was a guy who was running backwards with a mirror. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's cool. So. Um, <laughs> We, we were running along, we're, we're at the back. The only people behind us are the, the guys on the bikes, just kind of making sure that you know, everybody's you know, okay. And so we, we keep going. About a mile into it, I look up and there's a, there's a couple of guys who didn't look like they were quite in the shape to, to run a 5K. And so they're taking a little raster off on the side, kind of huffing and puffing. And Dad goes, Dad, we're passing people. <laughs> so we keep going. About halfway through the race, I looked out and said, how you doing? I said, well, I'm getting, I'm getting a little tired. I, I don't think I'm going to do the whole thing. I said, all right, well, we'll just see how far you can go. And that'd be great. And so we keep going along. He said, after a little bit, he goes, Dad, I think I'm going to be done here. And I said, all right, well, I'll tell you what. you see that corner up there? He said, yeah. I said, when we turn the corner, we're going to be back at Southdale. This is when they do the race. I think they do it at Southdale again. Uh, but the last part of the race is around the mall. So it ends up being a mile around the mall. And I said, the last mile is, is, is coming up, and if we turn the corner, you're going to be able to be back in South Bend. Mom and Grandma and Aunt Kelly are waiting there. Do you want to see if you can run it that far? He goes, okay, I think I can make it that far. And so we go up, we turn the corner, and, and there's all the people getting ready for the walk, and they're trying to keep the path clear so these last runners can, well, us, can make it, can make it through. And we're, we're looking for my, my wife and her mom, and, and I'm looking around, and he's you know, just barely you know, chugging along next to me. When all of a sudden, the guy from Channel 11 comes running up one side. Hey, buddy, how you doing? He's like, what's your name? Dan, Dan Larson. How old are you, Dan? I'm eight. Where are you from? I'm from Bloomington. Have a good race. And he runs off, and I'm thinking, how nice of this guy to come up and take Dan's mind off the race for just a little bit. And just then, we look up, and we see my wife. And Dan's like, there she is. And we hear over the loudspeaker, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring around eight-year-old Dan Larson from Bloomington. All of a sudden, 10,000 walkers go, come on, Dan! 
finishes the race, he comes up to me and goes, Dad, that was awesome. I could do it again. I go, I bet you could. Now, do you see the power of encouragement? If I had sat there and criticized him the whole way, he, he would have quit a long time ago. If I said, come on, what kind of man are you? I mean, no. The encouragement makes all the difference. So before we criticize our spouse, we, we, we need to think, how can I encourage them? What can I do to be encouraging to my husband or my wife? That is the power that God gives to us in that antidote of encouragement. All right. So the next one is honor. Honor and respect. And this one is really important for men. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you some secrets about men today that, that I think uh, will be helpful for you. When we honor each other, we're focused on them. We're, we, we believe in them. We, we give them our full attention by doing a lot of different things. We honor, we focus on their, their needs and their wishes and their desires, but it goes even deeper than that. We admire, uh, we honor them when we respect them. And I'm not talking about the kind of respect that you know you would give you know, some official person or something like that, but it's the admiration that we give to them. We respect them by admiring who they are and what they do and being grateful for what they do. Men need this. They totally need this. Men love it. One of the, the things that men won't tell you, and I'm going to tell you the secret now, we want our wives to be proud of us. And that's why women often say, why does he always have to try to solve my problems when I just want to talk? It's because we're trying to help you. We're trying to fix something so you'll be proud of us. Okay? Uh, one of my friends, he was speaking at a conference one time, and he, he was working really hard at this thing. It was a big deal for him. And, and he got done, and his wife was sitting in the back. He came to the back of the room, and she wrapped her arms around him and said, I am so proud of you. You knocked it out of the park. And he told me later, he said, you know, she could have said, I love you, and I, that would have been fine. That, that would have been hard on that. But when she said, I'm proud of you, he goes, I felt loved. I felt like she truly desired and loved me. So men are a little bit different than women. Often women, and, and these are generalizations, often women need to hear, I'm loved. Men need to hear that you admire them, that you're proud of them. One of our biggest fears as men, and we're not going to tell you this, is that inside, deep down, that people will find out that we're frauds. That we're really, we might really be inadequate. And so by the encouragement and the respect that you give your husband, you give them the power to feel loved by feeling adequate. And that's such an important thing. One of the things that you can do is brag about your husband to other people. My, my wife used to go to a little meeting like this when, when our kids were young, and, and after about a month, she quit going, and I said, hey, well, how, how can you quit going to this? It was kind of a weekly deal. And she said, all the women do there is rip on their husbands. I couldn't take it anymore. And so she found another group to go to where they were more encouraging and, and, and talking about their husbands in a good way. And I, I think that really says a lot. When, when we rip on our, our spouses in front of other people, uh, especially men, this is a huge deal. If you're downplaying your man or your husband and saying stuff about him in front of other people, that just tears to his heart, that's right to his core. 
So write about your husbands. In fact, I'm going to do something right now. I want you to turn to one person next to you. I want you to tell something. Just write about your husband real quick. you got about 30 seconds each. Go. All right? Brian. success in her school. In, in third hour, she'll say, oh, you should have seen you know, Mary Phillips this morning in first hour. She nailed this problem like that. It was, it was amazing to see how she figured this out. What's happening at lunch? Kids are coming up to Mary going, Mrs. Larson is talking about you. What? What did she say? She was talking about how smart you were. And, you know. Now, who's, who's Mary Phillips' favorite teacher from now on, right? <laughs> we, we love to, to hear good things about ourselves, and, and spouses need to hear that as well. Uh, such an important, important thing. One of the other ways that we can honor each other is just listen. Just listen. And I, I really tell men this. Men need to hear this more than women, I think. Um, but most often, research shows that we'll, we'll interrupt somebody after about <clears throat> 17 seconds before we have to throw in our thoughts. But, so that's really an honoring thing. One of my friends, he, he told me one time his, his goal in life is to outserve his wife. Now that's an honoring thing. When you, when you think about just finding ways to serve one another is really honorable. Okay, next one, the antidote to defensiveness is humility. Humility. You know what? We're all gonna blow it. We're gonna, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna have things that we say that come out wrong. Uh, we're gonna be lazy and grumpy and, and, and just blow it sometimes. And to be able to admit our own faults and to have that humility is really, really important. To be able to say, I'm sorry. To be able to ask and uh, seek forgiveness is, is huge. And allowing people to do that in a way that feels safe. When I feel safe around my, my wife, and I can come to her and say, you know what, I screwed up, I really blew it, and I, and I don't get thrown back in my face, it's a lot easier for me to do that, right? I have a brother who was a police officer, we were talking about this one time, and I said, so what's the difference between somebody who 
confesses to a crime and one who tries to elude. He says, well, if they try to run from us, he goes, it, it can get pretty rough. He said, you know, guys get hurt and different things. He said, if you confess, it, it's usually pretty easy. In fact, he said, we had a guy come into the, the station one time and he walked up to the front desk. He said, um, who do I talk to about making a confession? And the guy at the front desk said, well, what do you want to confess? And he said, oh, I robbed a store last month. He goes, oh, okay, well, come on back. We'll find a detective and sit down there. <laughs> I mean, the difference between somebody who confesses and somebody who doesn't is, is huge. And I think that's true for our marriages as well. So having that ability to, to say, you know what, sometimes uh, I blow it, you know, and, and I need forgiveness for that. Okay, and then the last one is the antidote to um, withdrawal is connection. To connect with one another. Not to run away from each other, but God wants us to, to come back to each other. To find ways, even when it's tough, to come back to each other. And I think that's such an important thing. I've never met a couple that would say that they feel really connected, but they don't communicate. And I've never met a couple who says, we, we communicate really well, but we're, we're not connected. Communication and connection go hand in hand. We have to have good communication if we want to be communicating or connecting with one another. Okay? So I want to share a little bit of, of how we can do that this morning. How we can do that. I, me I mentioned before that verse from John, love one another as I have loved you. As I love you, so you must love one another. Sometimes I get to work with young couples as they're getting ready for marriage. They ask if I'll kind of do some you know, pre-marriage stuff, and, and I'm happy to do it. And I always ask them that question. So why do you want to get married? And they always have the same response. They kind of look like, they, they, they sort of turn to each other like a couple of sick cows in a hailstorm, and they're like, because <laughs> we're in love. <laughs> And I just want to go, you might want to get over that, because <laughs> honestly, being in love is not a good basis for a relationship. Being in love is a feeling, and feelings can come and go. They can ebb and flow. The reason we get married is because we want to love. What Jesus was talking about when he said love one another was not be in love with one another. He wasn't saying fall in love with one another as I have fallen in love with you. He said love one another. I was speaking at a, a youth group in Bloomington one time, and in their youth room, across the, the entire wall, they had painted, love is a verb. You know what? That's ex they got it. That's exactly right. What Jesus is talking about here, the love that he's talking about when he says love one another, that's a verb love. When we're talking about love as a feeling, that's a noun. They're two different things. And so what Jesus is saying is, love one another as I have loved you. The Beatles wrote the song, All We Need Is Love, and then they broke up. Okay? <laughs> we need to love one another. When Jesus says, I love you, means I will care for you. When he says, I love you, means I'll honor you. I love you. I'll sacrifice for you. I love you. I'll support you. Love one another as I have loved you. Respect one another as I respect you. Sacrifice for one another as I sacrifice for you. This is loving as a verb, and this is what God has called us to. Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. When we start loving as a verb, 
it makes all the difference in the world. So just recognize in your relationship that sometimes you're not going to have that feeling of love. Sometimes it's just going to go, I just don't feel it today. You know, that's okay. Most couples, in fact, they did research on couples who were at that sort of that point of divorce, and they said, we're just, we're not sure we're going to make it. Five years later, they asked them the same question, how you doing? Over 80% of them said, we're either very good or excellent, our relationship. Sometimes we just go through those periods where it's just rough, and you wonder, you know, are we going to make it? And you just have to have faith. I was flying home last night, I got in, and that, that wind that was blowing last night, Man, I'll tell you, I was going, I'm not sure if we're going to make it. I mean, that plane was bouncing around, and we, we got done, and the flight attendant got on, and she said, um, you can pick up your, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm just so glad to be on the ground. <laughs> and if this is somebody who's been at it for a long time, sometimes we hit those patches of, of rough weather, but we just have to have faith, have faith in that. So we have to be able to communicate with one another. And sometimes this is difficult because we're, we're different people. Communicating with each other can be really difficult. And sometimes, even when we're really, really trying, it doesn't work out the way we, you know, um, somebody mentioned we, we did these family camps as well as um, the, the marriage retreats. And I had a guy one time, he called up and he said, hey, I've been hearing about your family camps. So I'm kind of interested in and finding out more, maybe we want to come. And I said, okay, great. So I start telling him about you know, all the stuff that we do and you know, what they're going to experience. And as we're, we're going through it, I just started to tell him, he said, well, hey, there's one thing I need to kind of tell you right off the bat. Um, and you have to just be honest with me if this is a problem for you guys. And I understand if it is. He said, but I'm a dwarf. And I said, well, no, that's not a problem. I mean, gosh, we'll do whatever we can do to help you. I said, uh, you know, if you guys would need, like, a step stool in your kitchen, we can certainly help you with that, or, you know, even getting rides to and from different places. And, and he's like, oh, okay. And then he said something that totally confused me. He goes, um, this is sort of a recent thing. How's it going? How do you... How did he become a recent dwarf? And so I'm thinking of like all these accidents and you know some kind of surgery and it's like in my mind I'm like I, I don't get it all. So he keeps talking and I keep talking. We're you know trying to communicate back and forth and then then he finally he says, um, uh, well I think I think we're going to do it. I think it sounds really fun. I, I'm really excited. He said the only the only thing that might you know prevent us from coming is. Um, I'm not sure if it's my weekend with my son or my ex-wife's weekend with my son, and she might not let him go. And as soon as he said that, he, he, he didn't say, I'm a dwarf. He said, I'm divorced. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. So he gets to camp, I, I, I look at him, he's six foot five. <laughs> I said, I gotta, I gotta tell you something. <laughs> But I was working so hard to communicate to this guy to, to meet his needs, and, and sometimes we, we just blow it, you know? And I think part of it is, um, especially in marriage relationships, part of it is because we're, we're wired differently. Men and women are different. Have you figured that out yet? Yeah, I think, I think you have. Uh, and I think that's, that's good. This is, this is what God has created for us, that men and women are different. I was doing some research on this a little bit ago, and, and I realized I found uh, that research shows that men's brains, and I, I told my wife this, men's brains are 10% larger than women's. And I told Lynn about that, and she said, 
Well, sounds like you have a lot of potential for growth. <laughs> exactly. No, but when you look at research for for in brains, there's a a highway that goes between the left brain and the right brain called the corpus callosum. And in the women, it's much larger. And what that allows it to do is it allows right brain, left brain to interact much more readily. Men's is very small. I mean, it just, we're like a, a dirt road. You guys are like a six-lane highway. Like, and, you know, information is flying back and forth. And that's the way God has wired us. God has made us that way, where men are often focused on one thing at a time. Women are often focused on many things at a time. They can, they can be dealing with emotions and situations and feelings and all these different things at the same time. I remember one time I walked in the kitchen, my wife had something on the stove, she's creating tests, she's got the TV on, and, and tears are coming down her cheek. I'm like, honey, what's wrong? She said, I'm just thinking about my sister. I'm like, wait, there's so much going on here. Um, men are not like that for the most part, okay? We're, we're thinking about one thing, okay? If you, if you don't believe me, have you ever walked in on either your son or your husband, and they're watching TV, and you start talking to them, and they're like, Huh? Did you say something? It's because we are focused on one thing at a time. Sometimes uh, women will, will ask their husbands, what are you thinking about? And what's the response you get? Nothing. Like, what, nothing. Do you know it's actually true? <laughs> They've done research on the, the brain wave patterns of men, and they can they found out that they actually can be thinking about nothing. Okay, the, the only brain wave function that's going on is enough to keep their heart beating and the lungs moving. Okay, so it is possible for us to be thinking about nothing, and that's because that's how we shut down. There are times where men just need to completely shut down, and they can't keep thinking about stuff. Okay, that's how we, it's, it's like putting your brain to sleep, letting it rest for a minute, and then they can come back and be energized to do it again. But it is true that men can sometimes uh, be thinking about nothing. Um, men and women are different in how we communicate as well. Men will often speak between 10, or 15 and 25,000 words per day, women 30 to 50,000 words per day. My wife is a teacher, teaches all day long. She'll come home some days and goes, I'm out of words. Just, I'm done. So she, she doesn't want to be talking anymore, even though I might want to. Men often preferred shared experiences. Women often preferred shared feelings. Okay. Women often are more focused on the feelings, the relationships with each other. Men are more focused on the results. Uh, and I, this really hit me uh, a couple years ago. Um, I, I got to go, I'm in a Thursday night Bible study thing with a you know, couple, bunch of couples. and. Uh, a bunch of the guys decided to go um, uh, on a fishing trip up to Canada. So we went up to Canada and we were fishing. And, and um, so I, I remember getting home from the trip, and Lynn's like, how was the trip? I'm like, it's great. It was awesome. She said, how's Paul doing? Like, uh, Paul's fine. Okay. It's like, how's he like his new job? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> she looks at me, she goes, Wait, you, you asked him about his new job, didn't you? I go, no. Because weren't you fishing with him in the same boat for a week? I'm like, yeah? And, and you never asked him about his job? And I'm like, oh, it never came up. She's like, did you learn anything? I'm like, he's got a new rod. I, don't know. I mean, 
so we were we were fishing for the week, but it was more about experiencing something together. It wasn't about sharing feelings. And then later on that summer, the girls decided to go on a girls' weekend up to this cabin. And as they were leaving, she said, "Hey, can you grab my golf clubs?" I went, "You're golfing?" She said, "Yeah, we're going to play the tournament golf course." And I went, that's a great course. I love that course. Honey, you're going to love this course. And so I'm all excited about her golfing. I put her clubs in the car, and she drives off. And I'm, the next day, I remember thinking, like, oh, she's probably on the eighth hole right now. She's going to love this one. And I'm thinking about her golf game all day long. She gets home on Sunday, and I'm helping her out a lot. I go, what do you think of turtle like golf course? She goes, what? I go, the golf course. She goes, oh, we didn't go. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't call? She said, well, we were sitting on the deck and we were just talking and Shelly was talking about her daughter and some of the struggles she had. And I don't know, we just forgot. I'm like, I don't get that. Okay, I was thinking about it all day long for you. Okay? So she's thinking about, they're, they're focused on feelings. It wasn't about experiences. The experiences were not necessary for them to have an awesome so we're different in those different ways, and, and that's okay. I'm just saying we're different for the most part. And again, these are generalizations. Uh, your husband may love talking about feelings and, and is really good at it. Uh, others may not be. Now, let me, let me just point this out about feelings too. Women are very, very good. Very, um, you, you have the ability to identify feelings very quickly. Men do not. It takes time for a man to identify a feeling. In fact, they, they say it can take six to 24 hours for a man to identify a feeling. And, and so what happens often, in, and I, I've done this myself, Lynn and I are in some kind of argument, we're going back and forth, and I'm like, hey, hang on, I just gotta stop here. I, I, can't, I can't go on, I just need, I need a break. And she's like, we're talking about feelings. I'm like, I know, I need a break. And so I'll go out for a bike ride or a run and I need to process this stuff. I need to think it through. Men need to think through to be able to feel. They need to uh, be able to process that in their mind before they can share what it is and articulate that. So um, now it's my responsibility if I put the, the brakes on there to come back and, and bring that back into the conversation. Um, so, but Lynn now understands that it's gonna take me some time. Uh, we, we maybe talked about something. She said, hey, do you need to go? Think about that for a little bit, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. Okay, so once she understands that, it gives me the freedom, because I didn't know I didn't know the feelings. I was trying to guess at them, like, I'm feeling, I, I don't know. Uh, and so now that we, we get that, it makes all the difference. Um, <coughs> I remember one of my friends, she goes, I was telling her about this, we were talking, and she said, oh, I remember when we first got married, I asked my husband, how are you feeling? And he responded, hungry. I mean, that's all he could feel, right, at that, that spot, so. Okay, um, again, men just define themselves based on results. Women define themselves based on relationships. And Lynn will tell you, she's also the, uh, the both a boys and girls tennis coach uh, in Bloomington, and, and she said, you know, it's really interesting, if the guys lose a match, they don't talk on the way back on the bus. So the girls could win the match, but if they felt like the people that they were playing were not nice to them, they will not talk on the bus, okay? Because it's relationships. They wanted to be able to be in that relationship with, with each other, and that can make all the difference. Okay, so let me talk just a little bit, we got a little bit more time here about some specific things that I think can be helpful uh, in terms of communication. And realizing that our greatest goal in communication is to be heard 
and to be understood. We really want to be heard. We want to be understood by our spouse. All right, uh, and this takes some some effort and work. Uh, Stephen Covey once once wrote. I think I've got it here. Um, he said, "Seek first to understand, then to be understood." And this is really good advice. Before we're we're trying to get our own thing understood, to try to understand the other person, uh, and that makes a huge difference. And then he said, begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to be after you have a discussion? Where do you want to be once you're through on the other side of an argument? Okay, or whatever it is that you're dealing with. And so I'll talk a little bit about that because I think that can be uh, really important. We can, we can try to win the argument or we can try to win together as a couple, all right? Uh, and one of the things that I think has found been really good is to assume good intent. And we learn how to assume good intent with each other. Uh, and this, this can be such an important thing. When, when we assume good intent and we begin with the end in mind, we see things in a completely different way, all right? Uh, I was uh, thinking back to a situation my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had a few years ago. One of their sons came up and he said to, to the dad, Joey comes up and goes, Dad, can I sleep over at Mark's house? And Tim's like, yeah, that sounds good. And he runs off. And Kelly heard it. She said, whoa, wait a minute. She comes down and she goes, did you just say you could sleep over Mark's? And Tim's like, yeah. She said, I already told him he couldn't. So now you get this situation where the kid's playing the parents, obviously. But they've got to try and figure out, okay, where do we want to be at the end of this? Okay? And where do we want to, if we begin with the end of mind, where do we want to be? Well, they want to have a couple closeness. They want to come out as a, as a team, and so they have to think this through a little bit. Now, if Tim said, you know, was thinking only from his perspective and said, look, I did sleepovers when I was a kid. Those are great. They're a lot of fun. Some of the best memories of my life. I want my kid to experience that. And she may be thinking, hey, the last time he slept over in somebody's house, he was a grouch for three days, didn't sleep all night, then he got sick, missed some school. It was, I was miserable. And so they start talking about this, trying to figure out what is it that we want it to have happen. Now, they could each fight for their own side, or they could say, okay, what, what's best for our family? And that's what they did. They said, all right, here's the deal. Get, have a sleepover this weekend. Uh, but you can do it over summer break or during the, the Christmas break when you have a few days to catch up afterwards because we think that's fun for you and important for you. Um, and that's how they solved it because they began with the end in mind. Uh, and one of the things in our family, too, is we, we always said, if one parent says no, the default is no. So don't try to play us, kid, all right? Uh, and that could be a, a help, helpful thing. All right, so we take that and we start assuming good intent. What does that mean? Assuming good intent is, and when we're in these situations, um, the first thing is we realize people want to feel good. They really do. When you're, when you're talking to people, they want to feel good. And people want others to feel good. When I'm talking to my wife, I want her to feel good. I want to feel good myself. And then we recognize that people are doing the best they can. When we recognize these three things, it can make all the difference in the world. If we assume poor intent on people, most of the time we're going to be wrong. Most of the time people are trying to do the best that they can. John Gottman says often what happens in a, in a relationship where the poisons get so uh, filled in, in a relationship is we have this thing called negative sentiment override, where even positive things that happen People start recognizing them as negative. 
You know, he comes home and, and he, or she comes home and sees, you know, the house is all cleaned up. He's like, oh, what, are the boys coming over for cards tonight? So all of a sudden, just assuming something negative is going to happen because of something positive that came out. Um, so healthy couples assume good intent. Let me give you an example of how this can work. So uh, let's say we'll make up a couple, Mark and Cheryl. And Mark uh, runs off from for work one morning. Cheryl comes down a little bit later and sees the, the dishes on the counter, okay, the breakfast dishes. And she's looking at it like, seriously, dishwasher right there, on the counter. How hard is it to put the dishes in the dishwasher? And so she starts kind of fuming about this all day long. And she's going to let him have it. She's just so tired of the mess. She spent all the day before cleaning up the house. And so she's getting ready to just let him have it. Now, Mark has no clue he did anything wrong, all right? He's just going to work through his thing. And so he's kind of going along. Well, as, as her day goes on, she starts remembering, you know what, I need to assume good intent here. And she realizes, you know what, Mark wants to feel good. He wants me to feel good. And he's doing the best he can. And so she puts herself in his shoes. She starts thinking about what he's going through right now. And she's like, you know, he's, he's been work, working really hard on that project. And uh, I know it's been taking a lot out of him. He's coaching our daughter Jennifer's volleyball team. Uh, and he's doing that project at church, Feed My Starving Children. And I know he's just exhausted. And, and so when, when Mark finally comes home, her attitude has changed completely because she's assumed good intent. And so it doesn't get Mark out of it, but it changes on how she uh, uh, looks at the problem. It, in, instead of a criticism, it becomes the complaint. She said, you know, I just need to tell you, this morning when I came down and I saw the dishes all over the counter, uh, I was kind of angry because I spent all day yesterday cleaning. But she said, you know, and then I started thinking about what you've been doing, you've been working so hard and, and leaving early in the morning, you're not getting back till late at night, and then you have to go coach and that project at church and all the different things. So uh, she said, I just, I want to apologize because I, I was just feeling angry about that. And, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate all that you are doing. Now, what's happened to Mark is he didn't get defensive. He didn't come back and go, whoa. You know, if she had just said, hey, I'm sick of these dishes on the sink, he'd go, well, what about my car? You're leaving junk in there all the time. No, instead, he was like, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry about that. I, I, you know, I meant to do it, and I woke up late. I was so exhausted, and I, I was running late. I just threw them on the, the counter, and, and you know, I had to get, get going to that meeting, and I really, I really apologize. I'm going to work on that. I really am. And, and so they come back, and they, they have a couple closeness by assuming good intent. And that can be such an important thing that we just recognize um, where each other wants to be. Um, and then the, the, the next thing is clear, direct, and sensitive communication. This is such an important thing in a relationship that we're clear about what, what it is that we need, that we're direct on, on what we need from the other person, and then that we're sensitive about this. I'll give you an example of uh, how not to do this or how I didn't do this very well. The last fall, I remember, uh, it was sort of right between before it, it, it was going to, like winter was about to hit, and we were expecting like three days of rain, and then snow was coming. And so I sort of put it in my, in my mind that I had to get all the winter stuff, you know, clean, all, the, all the fall stuff cleaned up before the winter comes. And so um, I'm working out in the yard. I, I had to do a last mow. I had to rake up leaves. I had bags and bags of leaves gutters to clean out, window wells, all the stuff. And I'm looking, I can see the clouds coming. And so 
in my unclear, undirect uh, kind of communication, I walk by, I see Lennon sitting inside and she's doing something. And I said, looks like it's gonna rain. It's coming. It's like, yep. I was like, oh. So I go back out now. Now I'm kind of getting mad. It's like, how did she get pick up on that hip? Okay. So <laughs> a little while later, it's now starting to get dark and the storm is coming. I can see it. And, and uh, I look at it again. I go, it sure would be nice if somebody could come out here and help me with some of this stuff. Okay, now it's a little clear about what I was looking for, but that wasn't direct. She's at her computer going, yep. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know? So I keep working, and now I'm, it's starting to kind of sprinkle, and I'm, and I kind of get mad, and I'm like, so I lean back into the window, I go, do you think you could get off Facebook for 20 minutes and come out here and help me bag the rest of these leaves before this storm comes? And she looks up, she goes, are you kidding me right now? I go, no, I'm serious. She said, you know what I'm doing right now? I said, Facebook? I don't know, Twitter? I don't know. She said, no, I've been online with the bank for the last two hours because they've screwed up our account. And I'm like, okay. She said, do you want to try that all again? I'm like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I go and I come back and go, honey, um, I know you're really busy, but this, this storm is coming. If I don't get some of this stuff done, it's going to be there all winter long. It's going to kill grass. Would you be able to come out for about 20, 25 minutes, help me finish this up, and then when we're done, I'll come in, help you put sheets on the bed. I know you ain't doing that, and, and I'll do whatever you need. And she looks at me and she goes, good boy. Okay. <laughs> so the last time I was clear, hey, I need your help. I was direct about it, and I was sensitive, and that's such an important, important thing when we're in relationships, to, to communicate in that way. But the most, probably one of the most important things that I think and you talked about it at the beginning of the day when you were talking about date nights, is keep it regular. And I really encourage you to, to do date nights whenever you can. I know it's really hard. You're in a season of life that is just busy when you're raising these little ones, and they can take all of your time. Be very careful that you don't give all your attention to your kids and none to your spouse, because we feel that. I, I remember when our kids were little thinking, why, why does she give me nothing and the kids everything? Uh, and that was that was hurtful. And what I ended up doing is withdrawing. I'm like, all right, if you don't want to, I'll just withdraw out here. And then she felt like I didn't care. And so we had this kind of circular down of um, not feeling like either of us cared because we were so focused on the kids. One of the, the best things you can do for your kids, and I've, I've been working with kids and families for 30 years, is love your spouse. More than anything else, they, kids want to know that you are connected, that you're in love with each other. In fact, I was doing a retreat with a, a group of high school students a number of years ago, and we had about 80 students in this, this room. And I was playing a little game, we were talking about families, and I said, all right, we're gonna play continuums. If you would rather hold a snake, go to this side of the room, but if you'd rather eat a spider, go to this side of the room. And so the kids had to choose one or the other, back and forth, and we're doing a bunch of these different would you rather sort of scenarios. And then I said, okay, I want you to think about um, something that you've always dreamed about having or getting or getting to do or whatever it is, your dream. You got it? You got your dream? I said, okay. If you could have your dream right now, go to this side of the room. But if you could just know that your parents were passionately in love with each other, go to this side of the room. Every senior high school student went that way. Every kid, more than their dream, they just wanted their parents to be connected and loved. So if you want to do something for your kids, focus on your marriage, focus on your relationship. 
and sometimes it's hard. I had a friend who, uh, they, they were struggling a little bit, they went to a marriage counselor, and the wise marriage counselor listened to them during their first 45 minute session. He said, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy to meet with you, I think I can help you. He said, um, you know, I charge $50 for a 45 minute session, and um, you can come every week. He said, but I, I'm gonna give you a prescription before we start. And I said, what's that? And he said, I want you to take that $50, and for the next four weeks, I want you to go on a date. You just go out to dinner, no kids, nothing else. And after four weeks, call me up. Let me know if you still want to meet. They did it, four weeks in a row, spent 50 bucks on dinner, long dinners, whatever. Called them up, said, we're good. <laughs> we, we just need the time together. And so I really want to encourage you to take those date nights. In fact, I had some questions made up. One of them was to share your date nights. So you, you can skip that <laughs> question uh, because it's, it's a great one. Uh, and then finally, um, my, my encouragement to you is don't give up. Don't give up. One of the things that I see too often is couples quitting too soon. And I know there's, there's times where, yeah, I hate to say it, maybe divorce is the only option for a couple. But I think too often we quit too soon. We think, I, I don't feel loved right now. I don't feel the love. And so maybe it's time to end this thing. Don't quit. Don't give up. In fact, um, Winston Churchill in the, in the hardest part of World War II when London was being bombed over and over. He was speaking to a group of children and it went out everywhere. But he said, never, never, never give up. And that changed everything for the people of, of London and Britain. And they're like, you know what? That's a new attitude. We're not gonna give up. Don't quit easily. Um, if you need to get some help, and some of you may be sitting here going, Man, I'm not sure about where my marriage is right now. You know, there are some great Christian marriage counselors. Find the ones that aren't ready to, to quit easily, that will work for your marriage. Um, but do that. I think that's an important thing. All right, I'm going to stop here. Uh, I've got some questions I'll get to each table. And then um, if there's any questions at the end, I'm happy to um, answer them or stick around if you have a, more, a question more pertinent to just you. And uh, we'll go from there. All right? So I'm going to pass out some table questions here and then um, I'll let you have a few minutes to talk about those.